Good morning. We are excited that you have joined us. If you're here in the building or if you are with us online, let's stand and worship our God together. to start off Sunday service. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. And if you're joining us online, so glad you are joining us. If you're here in person, it's lovely to see all of your beautiful faces. The temperature is not supposed to go above 90 today, so that's exciting. Hey, I've started wearing my boots, thinking maybe that will help bring on the cool weather. Hasn't yet. I'll keep trying. I'll let you know what happens. We are so glad that we can be here today. If you are interested in membership, um, 
shoot us an email, Murray Hill. I'm sorry, info at murrayhill.church. You can do it virtually. You can do it in person. Let us know. We're happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, and giving also is available online. You can text to give. You can mail in your giving. So thank you for continuing to give faithfully. It's what helps fuel uh, the mission of the church in our neighborhood. Um, so speaking of, I see a ton of our team kids here going to Sunday school virtually in person. So that's so exciting that we've been able to start getting that ramped back up. Yay. Want to let you guys, oh, yes. They're clapping for you, Emily Stuckey. <laughs> we are also going to be opening a preschool back up on Sundays. So during um, Sunday school, during the service, that will be available for you guys with the little ones as well. And youth group is starting to kick back up for the fall on Sundays and on Wednesdays. So Sundays at 9.30 in the youth room um, and Wednesdays at, starting at 6 in the youth room. So if you have um, students between 6th and 12th grades, um, hope they can start joining us again because it is a good old time up in the youth room. Um, we, are, we took away um, our, our pamphlets with the announcements and all the things in it. We are trying to be green, but... We want to reintroduce communication cards to you guys. So in every pew in front of you, you should have a communication card. If you are joining us online, you can go to the website, our website, murrayhill.church, and click connect, and that should link you right to the virtual connection card. So we're just going to ask everybody to start filling those out again. This is also a way that you guys can submit prayer requests. So on the back of your connection card, also on the website, um, there is an option for prayer requests. So if you're here in person, you can drop them off in the baskets at the front or the back. Um, I think that's all that I'm supposed to tell you guys. So as you know, we, um, our nation just um, honored 20 years of 9-11 uh, after the attacks of 9-11. And so um, we just want to take a minute to, to reflect and to remember um, and to honor. When it first happened, the minutes felt like hours. The hours felt like days. And the horror of what happened, one detail after another, could hardly be processed, much less understood. Then days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into years. Memorials were built. Wars were fought. Victims' names were read. Survivors tried to pick up the pieces over and over again. But no matter how much time has passed, we vow to hold these memories. We will never forget those who were taken from us. The world changes and shifts this way and that. But one thing stays constant. One thing is steady. God. God weeps with us. God mourns with us. God bottles up our tears and records them in his book. He is closer to you than your own breath and remains the cornerstone of life. God is the solid ground holding us up as the world moves beneath us. It's as true today as it was on that day. Our God reigns. He reigns over principalities and powers. His dominion stretches beyond what our eyes can see. 
And when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, our God reigns. We will always remember. somewhere uh, yesterday um, that one of the most important or potentially significant uh, ways that we could honor those um, who passed in uh, the tragedy of September 11th and those of us across the nation that were all um, so significantly impacted um, was to try to remember and try to live as we did on September 12th, 2001, uh, and really um, bringing back uh, the unity um, that we all experienced at that time. And um, when we think about, you know, some of the teachings that Paul had uh, in the New Testament, something that he reiterated to us as followers of Christ is the unity that we all have uh, and that we all should have as fellow believers uh, and as those who all worship the one true God. So uh, I'm just going to say a quick prayer for us, and then uh, we'll stand and continue singing uh, together as we're uh, reminded on this day uh, that when things are crazy, when, when we don't know what to do, um, you know, like the video referenced, we, we have the solid rock uh, and we have the one uh, who understands and mourns with us. God, we thank you that we can come to you when the world makes complete sense and we can come to you when we have no stinking clue what's going on. And we come before you this morning thanking you for your open arms, thanking you for the shoulder to lean on, to cry on, and that we know by sending your son that he went through pain, that he went through tough times that he experienced these same emotions of loss and of grief. And he modeled for us coming back to you, spending time with you, leaning on you for your love and for your wisdom. And so this morning, God, we want to try to put the same thing into practice regardless uh, of where I am, where, where we are here in this building, joining us online, people having a variety of experiences, some of us riding high, some of us feel like we're having to reintroduce ourselves to you. God, thank you that those arms are open, that that shoulder is available, and that you are welcoming us back. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us, please. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory.
From the moment that I wake 
Lord, we could sing all day, every day of your goodness and never even scratch the surface. How you care for us. How you love us, even when we're a bunch of knuckleheads. Father, your grace and your mercy and your love and your patience and your kindness are unfathomable. So, Lord, right now, I just ask that each of us in this place would learn to trust in you, to trust in your goodness and your love, and to see you as Abba, because your love is so faithful in Jesus' name.
shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Father, it is overwhelming to imagine that you looked at us and decided we were worth it. This love that is unexplainable and makes no sense. Father, I thank you that your plan is being played out exactly as you wanted to. I thank you that you are trustworthy. I thank you that you bring hope into hopelessness. And love where there is none. So Lord, I pray that you bless this time and I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to you. And I I ask that this morning would be transformational for us. That uh, you would be glorified and honored. That we would have an encounter with you that changes us. And uh, we thank you for this time and ask that your spirit guide us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to start today by asking this question. How many of you took my double dog dare challenge this week? Anybody? Okay. I would ask how it went, um, and, but I know that I got a couple of texts from people that said things like, I feel like a drug addict that can't get a hit, right? Because it was just, uh, it was overwhelming. So I hope, if you did it, I hope your blood pressure went down. Um, I hope that you found some calm that you hadn't had before, and I hope that you realize that God has still got it. That's the big thing, and he's still in control. 
So we, we started this journey about overcoming anxiety. Um, and as I told you last week on our, uh, on our website, we, we have the real life pages and, and, and people from all over are looking at the anxiety page and the, sec- and the uh, afterlife page, the, uh, the end time page. And so we're going to do these two series trying to answer some questions there. And, and again, as we go through this, please understand I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm not the person for that. But I want us to look at anxiety and stress really from the scriptural perspective. What does the Bible teach us? And, and clearly we're going through a difficult time in history. So, right? So we step back and we say, as a follower of Jesus, how do I approach this? How do I, how do I look at this reality? And, and so can I really trust God to be God? And as we have this overarching reality of God's sovereignty, we, we have to realize that we fit into the picture. Right? So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 and um, focus on verses 28 and 29. Um, you're going to love 28. 29 makes 28 a little less impressive. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go through it. But here we go. In, in chapter 8, Paul is talking to the church at Rome. And he begins the chapter by, by telling them, listen, all this suffering that we're going through, I consider it minimal compared to what's ahead for us. And so it's in, in context of the suffering that they were going through, understanding that they were a persecuted church, a, a church that would pay a price for their faith, that because they followed Jesus, there would be, be a price to pay. And so it's in that context that Paul says, but what we have to look forward to is an incredible hope in the afterlife. And it's a beautiful passage there in chapter 8 about how all creation yearns for the sons of God to be made known so that all things can be redeemed because the, the creation is suffering at no fault of its, of its own. And Paul talks about how we're going to have new bodies and a, and a new reality and the new heaven and the new earth. So it's in that context then he gets to verses 28, 29, and 30 of Romans chapter 8. And he says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So I want us to camp out verses 28 and 29, and I want us to see, first of all, that all things work together for good does not mean that I will never have difficulties. And it does not mean if I lose my job, there's guarantee of a better one down, down the road. All right? And that, that's kind of how we interpret it, that when something bad happens, something that I like is going to replace it. That's not what this is about. What it's teaching is, is that God uses all things for our spiritual good. And process that for a minute. God uses all things for our spiritual good. And we know that by looking at verse 29. So let's go through 29 and dissect it just a little bit here. For those God foreknew. Now foreknowledge is the idea that before the beginning of time, God knew every person who was going to say yes to Jesus. That before creation began, before he spoke the words of let there be light, God knew before it all began who would say yes to Jesus and who would say no. So foreknowledge is the idea of knowing something before it happens. Right? So those he foreknew are those of us 
who he knew would say yes to Jesus at some point at some, at, at some point in time. So for those he foreknew, he also predestined. And, and the idea of predestination in this passage is that God chose a destiny for us. Those that he foreknew, those he knew would say yes, there is a destiny for us. He goes on and says to be conformed to the image of his son. That word conformed in the Greek is where we get our English word to morph. And what Paul said was is that, that things happen and they work out for our good, our spiritual good, because we have been foreknown before the beginning of time and selected to morph into Christ's likeness. So when we look at, at Romans 8.28, what, what Paul is saying is whatever happens in your life, whatever takes place in your life, no matter how good or how bad, God allows it because he is morphing us into Christ-likeness. He is moving us towards Christ and what Christ would have us to be. And, and I think it's key for us to understand that, that there are times when life is hard, we would agree, and it's in those times that we have to stop and we have to say that God is using this for my good to make me more Christ-like. Now, I'll be honest. When the car wreck happens, the first thing that comes to my mind is not Boy, God's making me more like Jesus. Right? When the bad news comes about somebody I love, my first response is, oh, God's making me more like Jesus. That's just not how we respond. But, but we, we get away from that initial emotional response and we have to step away and we have to say, okay, what I'm going through, somehow God is using this to move me towards Christ-likeness. You see, God wants to develop all of us to our full Christ-like potential. And he's not content with us being where we are. He, he has to move us forward. But, but what's hard for us is that God has decided, and, and the truth is in our lives, that to reach Christ-likeness, to morph into that, it's not possible without difficulty. Hear me say it again. It's not possible without difficulty. And we think, oh, well, yeah, I could spend all of my time 24 hours a day in prayer and Bible study, and God could grow me. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen without difficulty. You see, as followers of Jesus, we, we like the cafeteria of things that God offers, at least some of it, right? If we're going through cafeteria, remember those? You know, you go through the cafeteria and you pick everything that you want. As a kid, that was my favorite place to go, all right? I just had to be sure to get it on one tray, all right? But you go through and you have this cafeteria of, uh, in, in Christianity, and it's like, okay, I want some hope. I'll take a little peace. Oh, how about some joy and contentment? Difficult times? No, 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 no. We'll leave that for somebody else. And we forget this reality that God has us on a journey to move towards Christ-likeness. And so as the world seems to be so bizarre and so crazy like now, as followers of Jesus, we have to step back and say, okay, what is it that's going on? We don't know specifically necessarily, but we do know that in our lives, God is using the difficulties for our good to move towards Christ-likeness, to morph towards him. 
There's a story in the Old Testament about King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah is significant because he is one of two or three good kings. All right, they had a whole bunch of kings and very few that were good. And there were just two or three that were, that were good. Hezekiah was one of, the, one of the few. When you read his story, it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Almost all the others was he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But Hezekiah was one of the good ones. And Hezekiah got sick and he was about to die. So he went to bed. And scripture says he turned towards the wall and he just began to weep. And he began to pray. And he said, Lord, I've tried to do what you've asked me to do. I'm asking you to intervene in my life. And he just cried and cried and cried and prayed. And Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, all right, God heard your prayers. And here's the deal. He's given you 15 more years. And it was in that context then he wrote in Isaiah. Isaiah recorded what Hezekiah wrote, and it's a, it's a psalm that he said. But in the middle of it, in Isaiah 38, 17, Hezekiah said this. He said, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. And I think that models for us what, what it's like to be a follower of Jesus in hard times, for us to step back and say, eventually to look back and say, you know what, I hated that time. It was awful. But I look back and it was to my benefit. I look back and it was a good thing for me spiritually. I look back and I realize, yes, God was transforming me and moving me in a new direction. You see, I, I think what's really hard for us, and, and there's, a, there's a, a statement, a saying that has been accredited to C.S. Lewis, but it wasn't his. But, and it goes this way. It says, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And I think too many times we forget that we are first and foremost spiritual beings. And so when Paul writes, God is working together for your good, it's your spiritual good, that God is developing you spiritually. That doesn't mean that everything that happens is going to be bad. Right? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is when the bad happens, as Paul was telling the Roman church, as you're going through this persecution, when the bad happens, realize that God is moving you to where he wants you to be. Morphing into Christ-likeness. C.S. Lewis did say this, and this one is to him, uh, quoted to him. It's from his book um, about pain. He said this, pain, this is really good, pain insists upon being attended to. In other words, when we have pain in our life, it has to be dealt with. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pain. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, he wrote that going through the Blitzkrieg in England. He said it's, it's in the pain that God is, is shouting to us and, and we are forced to run to him. 
and we're forced to either grow up or run away. I've told you the story about friends that we have from another church whose their 17-year-old son was killed in a car wreck. And when we met them, that had happened some years before. And they were some of the strongest believers we'd ever been around. It was like, wow, what, what happened? What made you love Jesus this much? Because most people don't. And we were talking to them about that, and they said, you know what, our, our son was killed in a car wreck. He was 17. And we were devastated. And he said, you know, we, we had to decide. We were going to do one of two things. We were going to run to God or run away from him, and we chose to run to him. And it changed us. You see, the thing is, when, when difficulty happens and heartache happens, we, we have the same choice. We either run to God or we run away. And if we can have in the back of our mind that God is using this situation, no matter what it is, to morph me into Christ's likeness, then I'm going to run to him. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It hurts. It's awful. But I know he's morphing me into something greater. And so we live in a time when it's hard. We live in a time when it's tough. We live in a time not only with the virus, but the division that's happening in our world is, is it's incredibly strong. The hate and the anger that is there is, you can almost taste it. And we know that's not from God. We know it's not. But as followers of Jesus, we can step back and we can say, as we, in context of all we've been saying, God is running the show. And for my life, I have to trust that he's moving me to something greater. And I trust him to be doing that. That he really wants to morph me to Christ-likeness. So the follow-up then for this, and, and, and this is really important to hear, and this is the great news. When we go through heartache and disappointment, God has decided that you're worth investing in. Hear that. When you're going through a heartache and a difficult time, God has decided you're worth investing in. And to put God in very humanistic terms and very human-like terms, I see God saying, okay, you're about to go through a really hard time, and it's going to be awful for you. But you know what? On the other side of it, you're going to be morphing to be more like Christ. And you're worth the effort and the energy I'm about to put into you. Run to me, I'll carry you through. But I want you over here. See, the, the truth is, we, we, we're here on this journey towards Christ when we first follow him, and, and, but Jesus, but God wants us here. And so it's not like we just wake up one day and say, oh, I've got it. No, we are slowly growing. And he says, I, I, I can't move you up in, in where I want you to be unless you go through this, this heartache. See, God's kind of like a parent. You know, if you've raised children, you know that you would never take your five-year-old and sit them on your lap and say, listen, you've been mooching off of me for five years now. It's time for you to get your stuff together. 
You need to find a job and find a place to live because in a month you're out. We would never do that to a five-year-old. Hopefully, we would never do that to a five-year-old. We wouldn't go to a nine-year-old and say, all right, here are the car keys. I want you to run down to the grocery store and get some milk and eggs. Now, I'll be honest, it looks like nine and ten-year-olds are driving out there right now, right? But, but we, we wouldn't do that. Why would we not do that? Because they're not ready. They haven't grown up to the point that they're ready to do that. And as parents, one of the goals that we have is that eventually our kids move out. That they become independent. That they become constructive members of society. And more importantly, that they become godly representatives of our king in this world. That's what we want. And hopefully that happens no later than 21. Right? For some it's later than that. But, but hopefully it happens. And you, you get them out on their own. And, and just for those of you who are waiting for that, I will tell you, Empty nest was really, really hard for me for about 22 minutes. <laughs> and then realized this is the best thing ever until you have grandkids, and that's even greater. So we raise our kids with the hope that they will move out and they will grow up and become independent. They will follow Jesus and represent him well in the world. That, that's what we do. And God as a parent is looking at us and saying, okay, you're following Jesus, but, but really you're, you're very immature in your faith. So it, it's time to grow up. And so he will say, all right, here's a difficult time that's coming. And it's time for you to run to me. But it's through this difficult time, I'm going to springboard your faith to new heights. My sweet wife loves to work with plants. And uh, she watches videos all the time of gardeners all over, and, and she's amazing what she does with plants. So we, uh, she knows if they need sun or they need shade. She knows how much fertilizer they need. They know how much water they need. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal to watch. Because for me, if a plant sees me coming, it just screams in fear. Because it's going to die. I don't know what I'm doing. My wife can nourish it and, and make it a beautiful thing, and, 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 and it's just phenomenal. And she knows exactly when to put fertilizer in and how much to put on, and, and then it makes the plant become beautiful. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Difficulties, hard times, they're the fertilizer of the Christian faith. And what's beautiful is, is that God will never put too much fertilizer on us. This will burn us out. And he knows that. He knows exactly how much fertilizer you need. He knows exactly how much heartache you need to morph into the next step towards Christ-likeness. He knows exactly what you need. And so... As we talk about overcoming anxiety, and, and again, this is not from a psychologist or psychiatrist at all, but I know, and I know, and I know, and I know that Jesus desires for us to be whole.
And I know that when heartache comes, he will give us what we need if we will run to him. And the idea is, is that one day we can look back like Hezekiah and say, you know what, that miserable time I went through, it was really good for me. I hated every minute of it, but it was really good for me because it morphed me towards Christ-likeness. So I want to challenge us. Step back. Look at the realities of what's going on and say, I can't fix it. Because guess what? You can't. You know the old saying, not my circus, not my monkeys, right? Sometimes it feels like we're in the middle of the circus, but we can't fix it. And it may be, this is going to be hard to hear, that our God's not ready to fix it. It may be his megaphone shouting, hey, I'm here. I'm still God. Are you going to run to me or not? One of the things I remember about 9-11 when it happened, and, and just a side note if you want to feel old, um, I have 21 students in my class. Not one of them was alive when 9-11 happened. That's crazy. But one of the things that happened in 9-11 that was so temporarily good is there were a lot of people searching out God for a very short time. It was devastating. It was internally difficult. It was, it was one of those things that our safety was, was gone and, and it was like, how can this possibly be? And so there was a, a, a mad rush to get back to God until everybody said, oh, it's really okay. We're going to make it through it. I just wonder if God keeps taking out his megaphone and saying, hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. When are you going to run to me? Because that heartache that you're going through, that hurt that you have, is God morphing you towards Christ-likeness. So yes, everything works together for good for those who love him. Because he's working to transform us to be like his son. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful passage of scripture and, and uh, Lord I just I, I'm so grateful for the truth that is there and Lord I, I suspect if we went around the room we could every one of us tell of a heartache right now and if we let people call in from online there would be story after story of of how hard it's been and how great the pain is.
Father, I, I pray that as we deal with the realities of what's going on, that we'll just run to you and we'll trust your plan that you are moving us towards Christ-likeness. And Lord, whatever anyone is facing, I, I just pray that today you would give them peace. That you've got this. And I pray as your followers that we would model for the world our complete, absolute trust in you. Not to lie and say that it's easy when it's not, but, but to say, you know what? God has been faithful to me over and over and over again, and I know he will be again. And so, Lord, for whatever's going on in the room today, I pray for strength. I pray for courage. And I pray for trust. Now, Father, I pray that you bless this time, and I pray that it would honor you. I pray if there's anyone here watching that does not know you, that today you would draw them to yourself and transform their lives. Bless this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The beginning of chapter 8 in Romans, Paul says one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought about those words, but that means that as followers of Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees no sin. There is no condemnation. It's over. The price has been paid on the cross. There is now, there is now therefore, no condemnation. We're not condemned anymore. And that's not true for us because we're great people. That's not true for us because we did so much right. That's true because Jesus died for us and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. So I want to tell you if you're here in the room or if you're watching, that you can live a life of complete forgiveness. that is completely guilt-free. Imagine that. But see, that's what Jesus came to do. He, he came to bring peace and hope and joy because he conquered the sin in our lives. And so if you're here today or you're watching and you never asked Jesus into your life as your forgiver and leader, I invite you today to make that decision. Most important decision you'll ever make. If you're in the room and uh, invite you when we sing to walk through these doors to the Welcome Center, let's talk about faith and what it means. If you're online, you can text us or you can email us. We'll have people ready to respond to you. But don't miss out on God's megaphone right now shouting, I love you. And I want you to live forgiven. Maybe you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus and God has put it on your heart that you need to be officially a part of this community of faith. Same thing when we're done. If you're in the, in the building, come see me in the Welcome Center. If you're online, text, email. Come be a part of the amazing things God is doing here.
Or maybe today you've been living with very little hope. Maybe you've been living in despair. I pray that today you'd run to the king. Find peace. Because it's available to you. You respond today as you feel led as we stand and worship together. Before we get started in this next song, um, as Pastor Doug was just um, talking to us about everything, I, I just was, I just felt like God was telling me that I needed to, to share this. Um, yesterday, I, w I was reflecting on what happened on September 11th, 20 years ago, and I was reading the transcript of the phone call that took place um, on United Flight 93. Um, that was the plane that was headed toward Washington, D.C., probably the Capitol building or the White House. We'll never know exactly where their intended target was, but um, one of the passengers managed to get on the phone and call 911 and make contact um, with the ground and found out, yes, the World Trade Center has been struck by planes. You're probably part of this plan too. And they said, one of the things that he said was, we have decided as a group not to be pawns in this plan. We're going to stand up, we're going to fight back and we're going to not let this evil plan take place. We know we're going to die today. We're going to die regardless. Um, and I just think that that is such a picture of what life can be like for us today. We all know we're going to die. It may not be today. You know, dear Lord, please let it not be today, tomorrow, next week. But we know where we're headed and we know that there is an end and we can sit there in fear and in silence and allow our lives and allow the things that we do and say or the things that we don't do and we don't say to be pawns for evil or we can stand up and say I will not take part in that I'm going to rise above this and I'm going to do what I can to save others to look at the bigger picture and to focus on what God's plan is. And we know how that turned out on that flight and how we have no idea how many lives were saved from those people, those ordinary people who had no idea that morning what was, what was gonna happen. So I just challenge you and myself this week as you go out, stand up. Don't let yourself be a pawn for the for the devil's plans. Stand up, stand firm in what God has done for us and just be a light to the world. Sound of his voice. 
for worshiping with us today, Murray Hill. Go out into this world and let's live the life God has called us to live. See you next week.